you have any sort of an inkling or passion for something, go chase that down because you never you never know when you're at a cocktail party or in a business meeting who may have that same passion. And I think finding the way to connect with people is important, whether it's fishing or behavioral economics, whatever those things are. When you connect with somebody on that human level because you have a shared passion, you're instantly a step further in that relationship. It's going to help you close the partnership or do better business together or whatever that is. So I would say be curious. Kurt Donald is the president of Freestar, one of the fastest growing private companies in the country. He's also a self-professed deal junkie. He comes from a Miami family, parents, brother, sister, and uncle. That's right, all of them spending time in Oxford. As an accounting major turned lawyer turned entrepreneur, Kurt credits this entrepreneurial spirit to growing up in Ohio and living in and around small business owners. We discuss curiosity and his thirst to learn, understanding customer service and how to motivate people, and the benefits of getting out of your comfort zone. He's navigated a business career by taking on challenges daily, and he loves to focus on his personal passions, which he recommends to all. He's worth a listen. Both of my folks actually graduated from Miami. My uncle was there as well, and they just always have raved about it forever. I went down and visited, and it just felt like home. Um, being from Bowling Green, obviously, I had seen sort of what a college town could be. Uh, Bowling Green is maybe not quite the beautiful campus that Miami is, and so going to see kind of red brick and everything was good. Obviously, the reputation of the school, and at the time, particularly their accounting program, was really appealing from that standpoint, and it just felt like home. It was actually the only school that I applied to. I did the early decision thing, and really, it was a perfect choice. And, and you mentioned accounting. You already knew at 16 or 17 that was a field or an interest for you? In some strange version of the world, when I was about 14 years old, I decided I was going to go get my undergrad master's in accounting and then go to law school. And I thought at that point in time, go be a CFO. I have no idea why law school was useful to be a CFO, but for some reason I had that in my mind and sort of went and just executed on that plan. Um, my senior year of high school, I had actually taken all my classes at BGSU. So started out in Miami basically as a sophomore and banged out undergrad in three years and stuck around for a little victory year, masters <laughs> of accounting. My uh, fourth year, I was not going to miss that fourth year in Miami, that's for sure. I love that. Well, we're definitely going to talk about that fourth year here in a second, but uh, executing a plan at the age of 16, 17, 18 is not, I would say, the typical path. Was it, was your mom or dad an accountant, a CFO, a lawyer, or do you remember what it was back then that, that made you want to go that direction? In all honesty, I don't know. I had a good, I guess, accounting teacher in high school. My mom has done a variety of things in sort of the food safety space at that time. She's done some consulting. My dad is a dentist, so no real tie to that. I did have I guess an aunt who was an accountant, a couple uncles who were lawyers, and so it was just generally around that. That said, I don't think I talked to any of them enough to have any idea what an accountant or a lawyer actually did. Mm-hmm. And so I just sort of headed down the path. And I guess one piece of advice I would give to any kid thinking about law school is go talk to some lawyers and find out what they actually do. I don't think uh, most people really take that into account when they're going to go make that decision. A little less so in accounting. I think that's a little more straightforward. But understanding what the day-to-day of being a lawyer is I really didn't understand until I got to a law firm and ultimately came to find out it was not my calling in life. But I think that's one piece of advice for any kid out there is really go understand what the day-to-day is of this path you're marching down. Mm. And uh, coming in with those classes already under your belt and therefore, I guess, sophomore credit, any particular classes, teachers, or moments during those years in Oxford that made you double down on the major or direction coming out of school? 
Uh, I had the chance to take some classes with Dr. Procano, who I, to this day, think is one of the best accounting teachers out there. I mean, incredibly difficult, but there's nobody really that was much of a master of his field and just one way or another, he and I really connected well. I also had the chance to do the study abroad program with him, the traveling Europe program. So I got to know him a little bit over there, but just such great respect for him. He's one of the professors I've stayed in touch with even uh, up until the last couple of years here. Went back and had a drink with him um, at I guess what used to be attractions probably two or three years ago. So he was definitely somebody that stuck out on the accounting side of things. Um, I really enjoyed. Where, When you did your European abroad trip, where, where were you? We did the traveling program, which I think, unfortunately, Miami quit doing and moved maybe to Kentucky hosted, even though it was still hmm. Porcano and Staten and those guys doing it. Um, it was an amazing program where you got to start in one city. You'd have class Monday to Thursday, Monday to Wednesday, and then you were free for the weekend. And so you'd go travel for the weekend and then meet in the next city that following Sunday night. So you could do class Monday through Wednesday or Thursday again and did that for six or seven weeks. And then the last week, there was an option to stay and sail in Greece for about a week. So you were on, I don't know, 40, 50 foot um, sail sailboats with a bunch of Miami kids rolling around. It was a pretty wild experience, I got to say, to this day. Truly one of the best summers of my life. Yeah, my so wife what did, do, what did do the same take? program a year later, and we both just revel in those moments. What, what do you take from being 19, 21, 20, 21 years old in Europe in terms of um, uh, culture or religion or language or just in, interacting? How did that help you in what you've done the last 10, 15 plus years in business? Sure. I'm a small town kid from Ohio, grew up in a small college town, went over to another college town. So I think going to see the world at that point kind of opens your eyes to the diversity of things and the different ways that people in some ways get the same thing done, but completely differently. Um, because we were taking a bunch of business classes, we had the chance to go like meet some banks, think went to Credit Suisse, maybe when we were over there or something. And it was kind of right when high frequency trading was coming up and seeing some of the foreign exchange things they were doing and the big problems they were solving were very interesting, slightly different probably on that side of the pond than ours. But just understanding the whole kind of global economy and just ecosystem and how people interact, it certainly put a passion for travel in me and having interesting opportunities and putting yourself in positions where you wouldn't maybe necessarily be comfortable, but coming out, having learned something on the other side, because it's such a benefit in life and a comfortability to just go someplace and say, you know, I can't speak the language. I, I really didn't speak any foreign language at all, but was able to navigate my way around it. You know, like you said, 20 years old and just figure things out. I think there's self-confidence thing that comes with that of being able to just go solve any problem that's put in front of you. And I guess that's sort of carried through life of I've sort of been never afraid to take on any challenge and just trust that you're going to be able to figure it out. And I don't know if it was an exact outcome of that trip, but it certainly helped plant that seed. I did, I did not do Europe. I couldn't, I couldn't leave Oxford during those four years, but every single person that I've talked to that experienced an international, uh, classes or semester or summer at Miami, you know, a hundred percent said I would do it all over again. Absolutely worth it. I think it is, at least at the time, it was one of the big benefits of Miami that seemed to be doing it more than at least a lot of the Ohio State schools were. And there was just this culture of you go to Miami and then you spend time abroad. And I think that's really just invaluable for kids at that stage of life to get outside of your comfort zone. It is easy to just sort of stay and do the same thing with your same friends. And for better or worse, going up to college town, I had a bunch of folks that stuck around Bowling Green. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's a good school, but they ended up kind of staying with the same people and not 
seeing the world as much. And I think that's really vital at that time in your life to understand what else is out there and broaden your horizons and where you may be able to go in life. And you leave Miami, you go into law school, and as you mentioned earlier, uh, once you walked into those doors, you figured out law was not your calling. What, what was it that you learned that you said, and people talk about that a lot too, that you, you don't find what you love, you often find what you don't love, well, that starts to narrow down the focus of ultimately what you do. Sure. Uh, law school itself, I love. I've had a wonderful time. If you ever get the chance to spend time in Charlottesville, it's a treat. So really enjoyed that piece of it. I will say law school teaches you how to think very well. I don't know that it necessarily prepares you particularly to go be a transactional attorney. I was always on the business side, primarily an M&A attorney. Did some real estate and some corporate finance work as well. Uh, my, I guess, illusion of what Doing M&A at a law firm meant was you're really in there helping structure the transaction, you know, guiding the deal when in reality, it's sometimes you're sort of a glorified scribe and you certainly made recommendations to the business folks, but they made the decisions and you wrote it down. Mm -hmm. And for better or worse, I struggle with watching people make uh, maybe poor decisions at times. I would see those happening. It was just stop, stop. And I just couldn't, couldn't move the train over. So um, that was a little bit tough for me, I have to say, when I was just in an advisory capacity. Um, I was at multiple large law firms for seven or eight years and then had the chance to go in-house at a digital media company, still was general counsel there, so was doing the legal work, but wore multiple hats where I was running business development, corporate development, and general counsel. And the ability to really structure the transaction and be thinking about the legal things was a much better fit for me personally. Mm. What kept you in the field across those multiple uh, law firms before you went in-house, knowing that it may not be a place you wanted to stay? Sure. So um, was living in Columbus, Ohio after law school. Um, got married to another wonderful Miami woman. And we were there for four or five years. I had honestly been hoping to move out west kind of after law school. And she was in Ohio and wasn't quite ready to leave. In hindsight, it was a fantastic few years, um, so I probably would have gotten out of law, call it 2008, 2009, but we decided to move to Arizona, where we currently live in Scottsdale, um, and so I was trying to move across the country, make a career change, and just realized at some point in time, let's get out west, get settled, kind of build a network in Arizona, so took another law firm job out here, okay. which in hindsight, and I say this about my entire legal career, I have so much gratitude for the fact that I did it. As much as it was painful at times, I learned so incredibly much. I got the chance to see so many businesses, good, bad, and ugly on the inside, do hundreds of M&A deals, and really built a great foundation for what has ultimately become more of a business career because I got to see so much on the legal side. So as much as it wasn't in my calling in life, I really did learn a ton from it. Uh, so when I moved out here, took a job at a firm called Ballard Spar. It's a big Philadelphia law firm that's kind of expanded around the country and really found a partner who was just incredible. She taught me so much. Has become a great friend of mine now, and I actually use her for legal work all the time. But it still was not sort of the perfect thing to do. At that point in time, the economy obviously wasn't in great shape. So making the geographical move was probably step one. And then the career move came a couple years later. Mm. Uh, did you always have, and we'll talk about it here with Freestar and some of your other work with Yoga Works as well. Did you have an entrepreneurial spirit uh, growing up as thinking about the accounting field and legal field and running your own business or creating a business? Or did that just morph into uh, life experiences after going in-house and seeing the different sides of a business? 
I definitely had the entrepreneurial spirit my whole life. And as I look back on it, I was surrounded by small business owners my whole life. My best friend's folks owned a bakery that I worked at and they owned a construction company that worked there. I worked for, I did all sorts of weird jobs when I was a kid, worked just about every construction job you can, but it was always small business. And then when I look back and I think of my mom starting her own consulting business, my dad being a dentist, small towns have a lot of that, but it really was people you know, putting their own food on the table every day and their own success what took care of their family. And so I think that was just instilled of a level of hard work and taking care of your family, but you did it yourself. And so the entrepreneurial spirit was really in me the entire time. I guess it was a summer. My buddies and I started a decking business. We were building decks. So I suppose it was in there from the high school days. Um, but it's definitely been in there. And I think that was another thing that was maybe a little challenging for me in a larger organization like a law firm where there are kind of more of the policies procedures and everything and i guess my nature is sometimes to challenge the norm and i don't know if that goes over quite as well in a large law firm when you're coming out and you know 26 27 years old so getting into these smaller organizations i'm just a better fit for me personally i think i feel like i can help guide things in the right direction a little more quickly and, and at what what year was it when you said okay i'm, I'm now moving out of the legal space even in-house uh, and want to go run a business or create a business? Sure. So I think it was 2012, I guess, when I left a law firm, finally went to a company called She Knows Media, which was very female-focused, digital media, um, ultimately bought a number of other companies. But I technically started as a lawyer, but within two months, took over the business development group, was running corporate development. We did a bunch of M&A, bought a bunch of companies, then took over audience development as well, where I was growing our owned and operated properties, our social presence, and all of those things. And sort of ended up in a COO-ish type role there. Um, and so as I got to just sort of expand and try different things, it just became very clear that getting on the business side was the right fit for me. Um, a few years, I guess I was there for four or five years, had the chance then to go join a company called Yoga Works. Um, it was a yoga studio, well, a chain of yoga studios that had been acquired by a PE firm that actually had owned my prior company. And they were looking for somebody to come come on board as they were thinking about an IPO. And I've always wanted always wanted to do an IPO and had never done it from the inside. It helped a little bit on the legal side. So joined them uh, a couple years ago, a few years ago, right when they were kicking off that process. And so basically a roll-up of yoga studios where we were going to go acquire you know, studios around the country, build a big national chain. And as part of that, we're going to raise some capital. And so there I was also general counsel, but running Corp Dev. And I would say probably 70% of my job was Corp Dev and then a little COO-ish type role as well. I always stayed very close to the finance side of things, the accounting side, I guess just the numbers elements in my uh, background I can't shake there so I was kind of helping with a variety of things and it's always interesting to see different businesses and the challenges that they have but in a lot of ways I feel like it's kind of the same in most businesses there's 80% of running a business is kind of running a business what your product or services are that you know, there's the nuances to it, but switching from digital media to yoga studio mm -hmm. just broadened the skill set and then um, the guys at Freestar I've known known for several years. They had told me they were going to go out and kind of build this business that they have. There was a weekend where I was deciding three or four years ago, do I go to Freestar, this crazy little startup in the desert, or do I go to Yoga Works and go to this IPO thing? We're going to scratch the IPO itch, but you know, about a year ago, or a year and a half ago, reconnected with the Freestar founders, and they were looking to bring somebody in to kind of guide the next stage of growth. 
and uh, asked him if I'd be interested. And timing was pretty good where, unfortunately, the Yoga Works stock price had not cooperated and we had paused m a a little bit and Freestar had done everything they said they were going to do and so jumped on board last January. Back, back to Yoga Works for a second because you talked about raising capital. Curious w- what you uh, enjoyed more, the raising capital aspect of not just there but any business or structuring business terms? Um, it's very different. I, the, the capital raising process, particularly in the IPO stage, is very, very interesting. I don't know if you've ever been through an IPO, but it is a crazy sprint, or particularly the road show. And I joke sometimes it's kind of like pledging a fraternity. It's the best time you never want to have again. Hmm. And it's just mayhem where you're flying all over the country. This meeting, you're giving the same presentation 100 times in a row. There's an energy to the whole thing that is intoxicating. I have to admit, I'm a little bit of a deal junkie, hence the M&A and all of those things. So I love getting out there. I enjoy selling. Um, when I was running business development, I was out there pitching all the time. And so doing that to hedge funds and uh, mutual funds and everybody was exhilarating on some level. I will say the actual operation and growing a business is probably more satisfying long-term because mm-hmm. there's you see the fruits of your labor really grow over time versus this crazy mad sprint but you're still then very reliant on the investment banks to do their job and investors to be rational, which I'm not convinced they always are, but um, it's just very different. So I enjoy the capital raising process, but I think long-term running the business is a little more fulfilling. And tell me about Freestar today. Sure. So company started about four years ago, pivoted to our current business model about three years ago. We essentially helped publishers monetize their website. Um, over time, advertising has switched from being sold sort of salesperson to agency on paper to something called programmatic advertising, which is real-time auctions for most of the digital media advertising you see on websites. So in a matter of milliseconds, somebody goes to a website, it says based on cookies and some other interest information that's kind of passed along through the chain, 18 to 34-year-old female, Scottsdale, Arizona, into football and gardening, and that information's piped out, and we run a real-time auction between anywhere from 15 to 20 different sources bidding for that of who's willing to pay the most for that user at any one time. Mm-hmm. And that comes back in milliseconds, ads displayed. Um, as you can imagine, trying to manage 20 or 30 different demand sources is tough for a publisher. So Freestar steps in and really does that as a managed service for folks. We represent uh, 350-ish different sites at this point in time, reach about one out of every two internet users across our sites, and have built just a, an expert team of ad tech engineers, data scientists, and then incredible yield managers whose job is to go maximize revenue on the publisher's behalf so that the publisher can focus on the thing that they're best at, which is typically the content side. So a little bit of a, a unique model that most people wouldn't know exists, but serves a pretty useful spot in the ad tech ecosystem at this point. Yeah, and so of the moving that business forward, what becomes more important, new technology to put you ahead of the next or having more websites under your control so you've got more eyeballs that you can uh, that possible advertisers are looking to sell to? A uh, combination of both. Uh, when I joined the company about a year ago, it had been a very, very tech-focused business for a long time. Like, let's engineer around all the problems. I think a thing that I'm most proud of is we've really built out our customer service side of the business with very dedicated account management and yield management. And I should note, our niche tends to be kind of mid-sized enterprise publishers, uh, JCPenney, Fortune Magazine, 
Barstool Sports, Warner Music are some of the bigger sites. There's a bunch of other sites that you wouldn't know by name that are even bigger than those. But we're a little different than some folks that have gone very long tail where it's kind of automated cookie cutter. Ours is a very white glove custom solution. Let's figure out how we engineer around your problems. Um, so we built a team that's very focused on that. So the technology side of things changes about every three months. It feels like in this industry, so you always have to stay at the forefront there. But building very strong relationships with our partners so that they will A, refer us to other folks, B, uh, work with us closely to make sure we build long-term fruitful relationships is very important. So there is certainly the element that we always got to bring in the next customer, and we've got some huge deals going right now. Um, but the technology kind of underpins it. I just never want to forget about the customer service side of things. That's something that we've done a lot of work on in the last year and has really paid dividends. And when you talk about customer service, if we if we go back to the 18-year-old to 22-year-old that's in Oxford or somewhere else around the country, besides customer service, what, what do you tell them um, about either their senior year that you had the chance to maybe have a little bit more free time than, than some others, but what do, they, what do they need to learn early on or think about as they head forth in life, either professionally or personally? Sure. Um, I've become kind of a behavioral economics and organizational psychology nerd. When I go on vacation, I read books of that ilk, which is a little bizarre, but I think trying to figure out how people work and what are the things that motivate them, figuring that out on a very early age is vital. And the ways that you can kind of nudge people into making a decision. I'll admit I was probably a little bull in a china shop earlier in my life of thinking I was right and maybe being right, but not taking a very good path to get there. I think there's two or three ways to get to the outcome that you desire and figuring out how to be a little more intentional of guiding people to the right decision, not telling them what it is, but making them feel like they got there and understanding the human side of things is important and something that I probably just didn't understand early enough in my career and probably could have been I guess, even more successful had I been a little more subtle at times. And are those, are those skills things you learn by real experience, obviously you learn by real experience, but can you, can you learn those in, in books and uh, listening to talks or, or are those skills you pick up as you age and uh, enc- encounter uh, just situations? Like anything, I think it's a combination. I mean, at the end of the day, we're, basically just a collection of our past experiences. So how you gather those is going to come in different ways. I think I learned a lot of them on the job and trying to ram things through the wrong way and realizing that wasn't very efficient where if I could build consensus or help somebody figure out the right path in their own, it was ultimately going to be a lot more successful. That said, I think there's a lot of things where you can kind of open your mind to what's out there and how you should be thinking about things and understanding the different personality types and what is the thing that motivates that person that you can pick up at least initially on paper and sort of understand these are the five, seven, whatever it is, archetypes of people. And certain people are going to be very money motivated. Some people need the human connection side of things more. And once you show them that you're a human, they'll go run through a wall for you. Some people go run through a wall to get a bigger bonus. And being able to quickly sense what that is, I think, is important. Um, the other thing I guess I would say is to any, anyone at any point in their career, really, is if you have any sort of an inkling or passion for something, go chase that down because you never, you never know when you're at a cocktail party or in a business meeting who may have that same passion. And I think finding the way to connect with people is important, whether it's 
fishing or behavioral economics, whatever those things are, when you connect with somebody on that human level because you have a shared passion, you're instantly a step further in that relationship. It's going to help you close the partnership or do better business together or whatever that is. So I would say be curious um, and don't ever stifle that curiosity by getting too single track. I've got to go do this one thing, you know, put in my 10,000 hours or whatever it may be. Make sure you go out and explore what's interesting to you because it's going to be interesting to other people too. And and finally, you started your business career in two very traditional sectors of business in accounting and legal. And now you are years later in an area of business that didn't even exist 20 years ago or 25 years ago. There was not such a thing as a website. What what are the new uh, skills that a student should be thinking about because uh, the type of jobs have changed so drastically over that period of time? I think it's remaining very nimble and willing to learn. Um, I kind of alluded to it a moment ago, but when I'm hiring, curiosity is honestly one of the highest things on my list. Somebody that just genuinely wants to understand and they could be understanding a digital media business or a yoga business or a law firm or any of the other bizarre things I've done over the years. But I think it's curiosity that lets you be that chameleon and adapt to the right situation. I said it earlier, I mean, I think 70 or 80% of business is relatively the same, but it is that extra you know, 20 or 30% at the end that lets you succeed in different industries. And I think it's the curiosity and willingness to learn. I mean, it really ties back into the kind of chase your passions if you've got things and that and sort of extracurricular passions, not just sort of professional passions that's going to allow you to be successful in the long run because we don't know what businesses are going to look like in five or 10 years. And if you're willing to continue to be learning and growing that muscle, you've got the opportunity to adapt and get out ahead of things as they do continue to change. Love the Donald family tradition in Oxford. He's thoughtful, articulate, and shares great tips for all. Really appreciate the time, Kurt. Thanks everyone for listening and sharing. See you at Skipper's.